The following sermon audio. The following sermon audio. The following sermon audio is a presentation of First International Baptist Church of First International Baptist Church of Copenhagen, Denmark. Today's teaching comes from FIBC Senior Pastor Senior Pastor N. Eric Nielsen. Well, my message for you today is um, is for anyone who has ever sensed discouragement. If any of you here have ever felt defeated or perhaps filled with self-doubt, maybe despairing, maybe at times even wondering if God will ever fulfill his promises made to you. Maybe you need encouragement as you face a task that just seems impossible. And you're asking, Lord, where are you when it seems that I need you the most? Or maybe I'm just speaking to myself today. Anyone else been there? As we turn to the book of Joshua, we turn a very important page in our story of the Old Testament. As we journey through the Old Testament together, our theme is the covenant people. And a couple of weeks ago, we finished the book of Deuteronomy, a very significant book, the first five books authored by Moses. And at the end of Deuteronomy, Moses has died and he's passed the mantle onto someone named Joshua. Today, I want to first introduce you to the book of Joshua and explain how we've divided this book of Joshua, 24 chapters, into just two sermons. And then I'll try to answer the question, who was Joshua? And rather than reading to you the first eight chapters of the book, I'll give you a summary of those first eight chapters. And I'm going to assume that some of you have never read the book before. I know that some of you have read the book and perhaps know it quite well. So maybe you'll just appreciate that it's only going to be a summary, but it's to remind us of what the story is about and to highlight some of the important things for the life lessons that I hope at the end us to learn of this remarkable person, Joshua. So the book of Joshua, first of all, its main theme. Well, it is, after all, the official historical account of God fulfilling his covenant that he made with Abraham and with Isaac and with Jacob to give their descendants a land. That's the main theme of Joshua. It is official historical account of God fulfilling his covenants. And we've divided it up into two sermons. The first one is going to be more than conquerors. And I'm going to just treat the first eight chapters in today's message. The first section of today's message is the Lord prepares the people and their leader, Joshua, for conquest. Chapter one, God personally is encouraging Joshua, giving him that word that he needs to hear in that moment as God is preparing the leaders and Joshua to cross the Jordan River. In chapter 2, spies are sent into Jericho, and they're protected by Rahab, the prostitute. In chapters 3 and 4, the people cross the Jordan River, and they commemorate that miraculous event that the waters of the Jordan River were stopped up so that they could cross over. And in chapter 5, all the males are circumcised because they hadn't been while they wandered through the wilderness, and the people begin eating from the land. Now, that's so significant that no longer would God provide manna from heaven, but now they would eat from the land that he had promised to give them, a land flowing with milk and honey. The second half of this uh, uh, section today is when the campaign begins. 
And we are given a detailed account of two particular victories over Jericho and Ai, or Ai, however you wish to pronounce it. So the beginning of this section, at the end of chapter 5, Jericho falls as Joshua obeys the commands of the commander of the Lord. Some of you are perhaps very familiar with this part of the story, of the walls of Jericho tumbling down. And the battle to take Ai then fails because of Achan's sin, and then the battle to Ai succeeds after Israel has dealt with Achan's sin, and then the covenant is renewed. But here's the main idea for Joshua chapters 1 through 8. I hope you're listening carefully because I hope that you'll be able to fit the small parts of the story into the bigger picture. But here's the main idea. God would win Israel's battles to conquer the land, but it was important that Israel was completely obedient. Did you catch that? God would win the battles, but Israel would have to be completely obedient because the Lord was going to go before his people. He was going to give them rest in the land. But they had to be obedient. They had to conquer it the way he was going to conquer it. Jericho was won in a very unique, miraculous way, as we'll look at in a moment. And Ai was won only after Israel had been completely obedient. The second section, which we're going to treat next week, let me just give you a quick preview of Joshua chapter 9 to 24. We're calling it Standing on the Promises. Why? Because the campaign then continued southward until all of those nations were subdued. And then the campaign continued northward when those nations were subdued. And then the campaign ends with the land being divided among all the tribes of Israel and the people resting, literally standing on the land that God had promised all the way back in Abraham's day. And then the book of Joshua concludes with chapters 23 and 24 with Joshua giving his final address. And the main idea is this, that God has now fulfilled his promise he made to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob to give their descendants the land of Canaan, one territory at a time, until they were settled and they were at rest, until they were literally standing on the promises. I have a couple of pictures of the map because I think this is helpful as well as you think of the geography and the terrain. It may be difficult to see because of the brightness, but there you can see the southern, aspect, the southern part of the land that was conquered and how Joshua first crossed over the, Jericho, the, uh, the Jordan River, conquering Jericho and Ai, and then traveling southward to conquer that land. And then in the next picture, you'll see their, the, uh, the way they headed northbound and then conquered some of those cities until all of that land was theirs. Now, the question is, who was this Joshua? Well, first of all, Joshua was God's chosen spokesperson. Maybe you'll remember all the way back when Moses was God's prophet, that all began at the burning bush. When God called Moses to be his messenger, his prophet to the people of Israel. God was using Moses as a spokesperson. And then God revealed to Moses everything that was recorded in the historical account of the beginning of the universe, the calling of Abraham, the promises made to Abraham, and the covenants he made then with Isaac and Jacob. And then finally, in the last of Moses' books, at the end of Deuteronomy, Moses is buried. And it says this, that the Israelites grieved for Moses in the plains of Moab for 30 days until the time of weeping and mourning was over. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, or Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him. 
So when we open to the book of Joshua, we notice the first thing is that the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, and then followed by instructions and encouragement. So who was Joshua? Joshua was God's spokesperson after Moses. And Joshua, until this time, had been a faithful leader and a fighter under Moses. As we read through the, 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 five, the first five books, maybe you missed the parts where Joshua was present. But Joshua was the one who led the battle against the Amalekites. Soon after Israel had left Egypt, they were attacked by the Amalekites. Joshua was the one who led in that battle, while Moses went up to the top of Mount Hur, with, excuse me, on, on top of a, a mountain nearby with his brother Aaron and Hur, and that was when Moses was raising his hands to the sky, and as long as his hands were up in the air, then Joshua was, was winning in the battle against the Amalekites. Joshua was also the one who accompanied Moses to the, as he climbed Mount Sinai. Remember when Moses spent 40 days talking with God? Even though Joshua didn't go all the way into the cloud as far as Moses did, it was Joshua who accompanied Moses. Joshua was Moses' right-hand man, and he was also one of the 12 tribal leaders sent in to spy out the land, and the one of only two who came back saying, we can do this because God is on our side. So when the time came for Moses to die, God selects Joshua to be his successor. And he, and he tells Moses, encourage him, for he will cause Israel to inherit the land. And God personally commissioned Joshua in the tent of meeting, calling Joshua and Moses alone into his presence to explain to Moses that he is going to appoint Joshua, saying, Be strong and courageous, for you shall bring the sons of Israel into the land which I swore to them. I will be with you. Thirdly, Joshua was a type of the Messiah. Joshua's name, originally, his name was Hosea. Maybe you missed that part. His family called him Hosea, but Moses called him Yehoshua, which means salvation. Translated into English, it's always Joshua. And his name has an alternative form called Yeshua. Recognize that name? Yeshua means Yahweh is salvation and is the name given to Jesus because when the angel visited Joseph, the angel said he will save his people from their sins. So Joshua was a type of the Lord's Messiah in at least this, these many ways. He was victorious in his battles against the enemies of Israel. His leadership was accompanied by the miraculous. He had the spirit of wisdom upon him and was specially commissioned or anointed by Moses. And as I said earlier, he was the Lord's spokesperson. And as the Lord's spokesperson, he was to be obeyed by the Lord's people. Yet with all of these attributes, here's what I find so remarkable about Joshua. With all of these superior qualities, Joshua was still a man, a man who needed to be encouraged in order to fulfill and complete an overwhelming task. The Lord spoke to Joshua with instructions to conquer the Canaanites. That's huge. And he knew that Joshua needed encouragement. So if you'll turn with me to Joshua chapter 1, you'll see how the Lord encourages Joshua. And I hope that these are encouraging words to you as well as we begin to apply some of these life lessons to us. In Joshua chapter 1, we'll just read the first nine verses. It says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. 
Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon, from the great river the Euphrates, all the Hittite country, to the great sea on the, on the west. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. How many times could he have said that? Probably as many times as Joshua needed it. Be strong. Be courageous. Don't be afraid. Don't be terrified. Be strong. Be courageous. I will be with you. You will be successful. Every place you place your foot, I will give to you. Let me quickly give you a summary of the highlights of what happens next. After Joshua hears these words of encouragement, the people affirm then their commitment to follow his lead. They say, just as we fully obeyed Moses, so we will obey you. And then Joshua sent two spies into Jericho, protected then by Rahab, which was unexpected. Rahab was a citizen of Jericho, and she was a prostitute. And what Rahab reveals then about their knowledge of the Israelites gives Joshua even more encouragement. Here's what she says to the spies in chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. I know that the Lord has given this land to you, that a great fear of you has fallen on us. When we heard that the kings of the Amorites were destroyed, our hearts melted and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. That sentiment reached Joshua. Can you imagine what that did for his faith and his encouragement? The spies returned and said to him, The Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us. That ought to give him confidence. So Joshua then leads the people across the Jordan River. The waters had stopped flowing upriver, and a miraculous event just like the Red Sea crossing, a supernatural miracle giving the Israelites a personal experience that, yes, the power of God truly is with Joshua as it had been with Moses. That's the confidence they needed as well. They all crossed over, including 40,000 men of the tribes who were going to stay on the eastern shore, and then they marked that place of the crossing with memorial stones. And then since those men who were born in the wilderness wanderings had not yet been circumcised as part of the sign of the covenant, Joshua circumcised them all. And then it's significant that as soon as they crossed, they celebrated the Passover. When they, The night that they left Egypt, they celebrated the Passover for the first time. Now, 40 years later, having left the land of captivity and now entering 
into the land that would be their own, they remembered the Lord's Passover. And then before any battle began, Joshua is suddenly met by a man who's brandishing a sword. So obviously he must be a soldier because Joshua's wondering, are you our friend or are you our foe? And the man responds, calling himself the commander of the army of the Lord, and Joshua falls down in worship at his feet. And that indicates to us that this must be, in fact, the Lord himself. Because his presence made the the ground holy, and it was only right for Joshua to bow down in worship. And he is the commander of the army of the Lord. And this commander then gives Joshua these unusual instructions of how Jericho is going to be won. Now, for those of you who are unfamiliar with warfare in that century, I want to remind you that the Israelites were not prepared for siege warfare. Jericho's walls were very high. These were the walls that 40 years earlier when spies came in, they described it as their walls reach up to the sky. And to attack a city with walls, you had to lay siege to it, and it was just a matter of time of when the people would starve and they would finally let their captors in. Jericho was a walled city. Joshua had never led an attack against a city that was fortified with walls and prepared for a long siege. Israel's army did not have the battle gear, which is catapults and battering rams and towers. But they receive a whole different set of instructions of how the city is going to be attacked. And I think many of you know this story. Armed men were supposed to march around the city, led by priests, not led by military generals. Priests were carrying trumpets of ram's horns, not weapons. Once each day for six days, they marched around the city. Is that how you take a city? Well, on the seventh day, they marched seven times, and they blew the trumpets and gave a loud shout. And as you know, the walls came a-tumbling down, right? Another supernatural miracle. The Israelites could not deny that God was on their side. Remember I said I hope that you're going to be encouraged today? When you've seen and testify and can testify to all that God has done, it's hard to discourage you because you know that God is on your side and for him nothing is impossible. And in God we are more than conquerors. But then Joshua tries to take Ai. They were confident because now we don't need as many people because we've got God on our side. But they failed. And Joshua was struck with grief and doubt only to find out that the Lord was not with him in that battle. Why? That's because Achan and his family had sinned. They had kept some of the things that they weren't supposed to keep. And they kept them hidden. And the Lord pointed out the guilty party by selecting one tribe and then a clan and then a family until Achan was drawn. Can you imagine being Achan and his family, as the Lord is beginning to point out, okay, it's not all of these tribes, it's this tribe. Uh Uh-oh, that could be us. It's not all of these clans in this tribe, it's this clan. And he's thinking, "Uh, okay, maybe my sin's going to be found out. It's not all of these families, it's this family. Yeah. When the Lord is pointing out your sin, it's not very comfortable. Well, they dealt with that sin. And then chapter 8 Oh, and then, and then so they, they dealt with it, and then um, 
The Lord assures Joshua, do not be afraid now, do not be discouraged. I have delivered into your hands the king of Ai and his people, his city and his land. And then chapter 8 ends with the people building an altar of worship to the Lord, offering their sacrifices, reading again the book of the law with its blessings and cursings. And those were the first two battles in a long series. We don't get as many details in all the other battles. But those details, I believe, are important because God was revealing to, Mo, to, to Joshua that he was on their side and giving him the confidence he needed. So I have two lessons from these opening chapters of Joshua that I hope that you will glean as well with me today. I want you to remember that it was God who chose Joshua to be part of God's great historical plan. This was not an endeavor of Joshua's where he had to say, Lord, be with me now as I conquer this land. Okay, this was God's historical plan. God was going to do it, and he chose Joshua to be part of it. The goal of conquering that land was not Joshua's idea, but it was God's. And if you and I have learned anything from this whole long covenant people series so far, it has to be that the history of the Israelite nation is really the story of God choosing a people to be his own treasured possession. That's what it's all about. God was choosing a people to be his treasured possession, as he says, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, even though, of course, the whole earth belongs to him. So from the very beginning, when he made a promise to Abraham, he said, I will make you a great nation. And then the assurances he gave to Isaac and to Jacob, don't be afraid to go down to Egypt. God was forming a nation with whom he would have a special relationship. And he would have a relationship with him. Why? so that, as it says, he would dwell among them and be their God. So God was going to provide this land to Abraham and his descendants, just as he had promised. I want to take you back to that promise in Genesis chapter 13. God says to Abraham, lift up your eyes from where you are. Look north and south, east and west. All the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go, walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I am giving it to you. Do you see how this was all God's program? This was God's idea from the beginning. Joshua was just a part that he was going to use to make his promise fulfilled. He was born in a generation that would see that promise fulfilled. And Joshua's success did not depend on his abilities, but on God's determination to fulfill his purpose and plan. And when the nation of Israel was established in the promised land, you realize that this was only part of God's plan. It wasn't over. The book of Joshua doesn't end and then the Bible's over. No, this is just the beginning of this historical plan that has in fact included the formation of a people who would come from all the nations people belonging to God from many tribes, nations, and tongues. And your and my presence here today in this city and in this generation is also part of God's fulfillment of his plan to bring nations to him who will worship him, who will glorify him, who will be his special people that he would dwell among. Notice how in Jesus' great commission, who's included? He says, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. When he told his disciples that you will be my witnesses, where would they go? In Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. 
Now, it took the disciples some time to figure it out, but this was God's plan all along. When he made that commitment to Abraham, he said, all the peoples on the earth will be blessed. Through David, he revealed, all the nations you have made will come and worship before you. And like Paul taught in the Ephesians, that us who were once excluded from citizenship in Israel, foreigners to the covenant of the promise, are now one body, one people in Christ. So in case you didn't know it, God's plan is still to dwell among his people. The Israelites first, and then the nations alike, are a building that is joined together and rises to become a holy temple. So the church is an endeavor of God's. This Yeshua that is ours is Jesus Christ, who said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You know, when we think of that verse that Jesus said, sometimes we think of the gates of hell on the attack and cannot prevail against the kingdom of God. But do you realize that gates are a defensive mechanism? The walls of Jericho were there to defend Jericho. But those walls could not prevail against God's plan of bringing the Israelites into that land. And when Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it, it means that his church is on the tack. And the enemies of God will not be able to prevail against our church, moving into the areas of darkness and bringing the gospel of redemption and grace to the people who are in darkness. The lesson for us today, friends, if we are already part of the kingdom, is that we are part of a great historical plan of God's, a plan that is destined to succeed in conquering the powers of hell and sin and death. The kingdom of darkness is not able to defend itself against the conquering power of God to rescue the sinners from among all of the nations and to make them into saints, a holy people belonging to God with whom he will dwell. Yes, I know the church has at times been weak and the church has at times veered off track from God's program and local churches do decrease in number and sometimes they have to shut their doors. But God is not finished yet with his great historical plan. And we as his people today, it's a matter of us making sure we're obedient to his will and his ways, that we're part of his plan and program. It's no wonder we get discouraged on our own because we're asking God to be part of our program. And we're frustrated that our program isn't working. But if it's God's program we're a part of, then it will succeed. And as long as God's church is following the commander, then we are more than conquerors. There's a second lesson, not only that it was all God's plan, but if he chose Joshua to be part of his plan, then God also enabled and equipped him for his role as leader of his people at this stage. Remember, Joshua was Moses' understudy. And Moses was the greatest prophet that had ever lived. And and Joshua demonstrated he had complete faith in the Lord. When they sent those first 12 spies in, he was the one that came back that said, we can do this. His faith was based on his own experience of the great and mighty arm of the Lord at the Red Sea, his food provision in the wilderness, his protection against the enemies, and Joshua was filled with the Spirit of the Lord. Yet even Joshua, with all of that, he still needed the courage and confidence, and that's exactly what God provided for him, saying to him, no one will be able to stand up against you. I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God goes with you. So I believe the lesson for us, you and I who've been chosen, 
We're called to a particular role in this stage of God's great plan. And when he calls us to that plan, he does the equipping and the enabling and the encouraging for this great task. Jesus said to his disciples, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. But you know what he said right before that? He said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you in power. This task we have of being his witnesses comes with the enabling power of the Holy Spirit. When Paul had to learn contentment as he faced times of discouragement, times of imprisonment, times when he was opposed and persecuted, serving jail sentences, what did he say? He said, I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. And he was able to testify personally that God is able to do, and I quote, immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power at work within us. And if you know anything about the life of Paul, you know that he knew firsthand what weakness was all about. And he said that he met with the Lord and the Lord said to him, my grace is sufficient for you. In this kingdom task that Paul was given included the tearing down of strongholds, it included the exploring of new territories. It included the struggle against enemies that were both physical and spiritual. And all that he went through, he could have called those setbacks. But here's what Paul says about them in Romans chapter 8. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And so with the risen Christ at the right hand of God interceding for us, he says, any hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else believe it? In all of these things, persecutions, hardships, we are more than conquerors. It is in those moments when we feel discouraged, when we feel down, when we have self-doubts, when we wonder, where is God? Those are the times we need to hear that we are more than conquerors. You need to hear, take courage, maybe. Remember what Paul, after he was arrested in Jerusalem, what the Lord said to him when he appeared. He said, take courage. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. Maybe you need to hear, do not be afraid. Well, remember what Jesus said his, to his disciples that they were to proclaim from the rooftops what they heard in secret with him. And he said, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. Maybe we need to hear, take heart. Well, what did Jesus say to his disciples before he went to the cross? He told them of all the difficulties they would soon experience. He says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Or maybe the word we need to hear is, I am the Lord and I'm with you. And even as Jesus gave his disciples the great commission, and he said to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, what did he say as the last thing? Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So I ask you today, what is holding you back? What is it that we fear? What obstacles can we expect to face in this which is God's endeavor? What are the limitations that make the task seem impossible? What are the doubts that we have about God's abilities? Do we have any sins that we have to confess? 
Because if this is God's plan, then he will equip and enable us. And the only thing that lacks is our obedience. Because God chooses to use people to accomplish his plans. It might seem totally strange and outlandish. Why would God in his great plan use us? But that's what he's decided. And so we have to obey his call and his commission. We need to be engaged in making disciples and being his witnesses to the ends of the earth. And just like disobedience, even in one family of the Israelites, led to their failure in their battles, God takes seriously any disobedience among us, his people in the church. So you and I have a call as a local international church in Copenhagen to bring God's truth in love to the people of this city and to those who are beyond. Are we ready to take up the call? Are we ready to do what he asked us to do? Are we ready to follow the commander, Jesus Christ, who says he will build his church, and if he will do it, then he will also equip and enable us? So I say to the church today, be strong, be very courageous, do not be terrified, do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Let us pray. This has been a presentation of First International Baptist Church of Copenhagen, Denmark. To listen to more sermon podcasts or to learn more about FIBC, please visit www.fibc.vk or facebook.com forward slash FIBCCPH. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening.